It's Tuesday. <laughs> you know what that means. It's time for the best and brightest moment of your week. It's time for that show you love and that show that you seek. It's time for nonsense. 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 The show. The best damn show you know. The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Viewer discretion is advised. Under 17, not admitted without parent. Yay! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nonsense, the show. Episode 228. Started off with a classic. This is Ram Jam with Black Betty. Gentlemen, welcome to Nonsense the Show, episode two two eight. Hey, uh, Ram Jam! Whoa, 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 whoa! Chill out, Ram Jam. Thank you, boys. Ram Jam's a little ready to go tonight. They're feeling good about Nonsense two two eight. Um, Ram Jam, obviously the the singers of Black Betty, the song you just heard, and the song that inspired uh, the name. Well, the inspired. The, the dream name of my dream vehicle. Uh, you guys may or may not know that I have a lifelong dream of possessing in my possession and owning as my personal daily driver vehicle, a 1965 Lincoln Continental. Got to be convertible. Got to have the suicide doors. Going to make a few modifications. Sound system. Duh. Obviously. Got to have the tunes. And I'm going to put them little uh, diplomatic flag holders up there on the, on the front. Up on the front fenders there. Why? Because I fucking can. That's why. Put a little California flag. Put a little beard and bones flag. Let people know who the fuck's rolling down the street. You know what I'm saying? Captain Nick in Black Betty. Nonsense 228. What do we have uh, in store for you tonight? I'm going to tell you a little bit about an idea I've got formulating in my brain. We're going to start a campaign, y'all. I need y'all's help. I need you guys to fucking rally together. I need you guys to start support groups. Facebook groups. Uh, local advocacy groups it's time we get taco bell to sponsor nonsense the show it's time it's no secret that i love taco bell it's no secret that taco bell is my happy time food i mean it's like my sad time food because it makes me happy but it's like my happy like taco bell i love taco bell what's up taco bell so we're gonna start a campaign we want taco bell to sponsor nonsense the show okay we'll talk about that in a minute um we're gonna talk about the captain's film institute Thanks to uh, Molly Smalls out there for suggesting today's film. I was struggling. I wasn't sure what we were going to do. I was planning on doing Men in Black. 
Started watching it, was not feeling it. Just wasn't in the mood. Great movie. We will do it. It will be on the list. It's deserving, but it just wasn't feeling right. And then I was uh, Instagram messaging with Molly Smalls. And she said, uh, I can't remember what it was. I should pull it up, but I'm not going to because I'm standing up and my phone's way down on the table. You know what I'm saying? Um, She suggested uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. It's a great film. It's a classic. It's, uh, you know, it's one of the finest romantic comedies made kind of with men as the target audience. You know what I'm saying? We'll talk about it. You're going to love it. Captain's Film Institute. We're going to talk about the van plan. I've made some decisions about my future. Some hard decisions. Some decisions I'm not excited about in some ways, but I'm very excited about in others. I'm going to talk to you guys about it, tell you how you can help. We're going to talk about legendary figures. I'm going to talk to you about a man who was Forrest Gump before Forrest Gump was even thought about. I'm going to tell you about a man that lived one of the most interesting lives you've never heard of. Francisco de Miranda's story coming your way tonight on Nonsense the Show. Um... We were going to talk about the Bohemian Grove. We very well may touch on it. We're not going to go in depth. If you want to know more about the Bohemian Grove, I got some research on the way. I'm going to tell you about a really fascinating place. Um, and kind of like I'm going, to, I'm going to dispel some myths for you people. I'm going to tell you guys the truth. But first, I'm going to tell you the stories because I love the stories. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm going to tell you about what I've been watching. I found some interesting stuff, some stuff you want to check out, some stuff I definitely need to refer to you. Uh, we're going to talk about Patreon because we always talk about Patreon. I'm going to start offering you guys some special episodes in order to entice you to donate to the Patreon page. Thank you, Alan, Captain, wait, Alan Incredible. I was going to call you Captain Incredible, but you're not a fucking captain. I'm a captain, Alan Incredible. Thank you for the fucking suggestion, pal. Appreciate you. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, old school late night ESPN. We're going to talk about World's Strongest Man. We're going to talk about lumberjack competitions. We're going to talk about the Black Widow shooting pool. We're going to talk about all the weird shit you used to find on ESPN late night in the 90s. ESPN 2 as well, but like ESPN as a platform. You know what I'm saying? And we're going to do a little bit of discussion about vulgar Muppets. Muppets get fucking vulgar. We're going to talk about it. Okay? Where should we start? Where the... Okay, you know what? Let's just get right into it with ESPN because... (laughs) So as we've talked about before on this platform, nonsense show, um, I've never been a great sleeper. I've always tried. Sometimes I do good. Sometimes I don't, but I haven't been great. So as a kid, I had a little like 13 inch TV in my room, which my, my parents still own. And I need to make sure I possess at some point because this has got sentimental value. You know what I mean? But as a kid, when I couldn't sleep, I would, I would watch uh, Nick at night TV land, right? We've talked about that before. And I would watch ESPN because flip through the channels and I would watch QEC, but that's a whole different fucking conversation. We'll do that later. Um, but my mom and I, she inspired me to think about QVC, but that's, it's a weird night. Don't fucking worry about it. All I'm saying is this ESPN late night in the nineties and ESPN two. This is before the Ocho, um, was a really, uh, incredible treasure trove of weird and incredible competitions. Okay. Sometimes you would get reruns of Nathan's 4th of July hot dog eating contest. It was like the only where, only place you could find them at the time. And it would be not on July 4th or in the, you know, it would be like fucking November 10th at 4 in the morning. And you would see Nathan's hot dog contest. And Kobayashi would be out there crushing Franks with his fucking teeth, you know? So... <laughs> What 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 really attracted me to ESPN late night was two things. World's Strongest Man and Lumberjack competitions. And these are two things that I did not know exist and I would not have known existed if it were not for ESPN 
late night. So what we're talking about here is I would be flipping through the channels, chilling in bed, playing Mario on my Game Boy. What's up, Alan? And uh, I would just be flipping through the channels, and I would find these immense Swedish, Norwegian, you know, fucking Northern European dudes carrying heavy shit, carrying cars, throwing Atlas stones around, Shouting as they threw kegs over thing, you know, over uh, 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 you know bars above their head. It was some of the most incredible shit I'd ever seen in my life. And so I started watching, and these guys had incredible names: Magnus von Magnuson and Thor von Big Muscles, son and shit. Um, and these guys, it, it would just. And I again, I'm a kid in the '90s. The internet was a new thing. I didn't even know this was existed, so I couldn't Google it. Google wasn't a thing yet. We were still on AOL in search rooms and shit, right? Search rooms, chat rooms. I've been drinking Captain's Remoraid 3000 for like an hour before I started the show listening to music, and I'm getting self-conscious about it now. Um, so, World's Strongest Man, it would be incredible. I always loved the Atlas Stones because it seemed like kind of, it wasn't like an exciting event, but it was, you could see, like having to go, okay, let me, let me describe what World's Strongest Man is, Okay picture giant immense muscular dudes they look kind of chubby because they got like big old bellies their torsos are immense because their core strength is crazy but they're huge and they look really cool and they're carrying enormous fucking logs with like handles carved into them one in each hand in, in what's called a farmer's carry and they're just walking and they're yelling Rah! and there's like a whole bunch of like really tiny beautiful blonde women on the sidelines clapping politely and cheering they would pick up the Atlas Stones, which is a series of like five or seven stones. I can't remember. Some of you strongman fanatics in the audience will let me know. And what they would have to do is they would have to run up, and then the lightest stone would go on a low platform. And then the next heaviest stone would go on a higher platform, and so on and so forth. So by the time you get to the heaviest stone, not only are you tired, but now you've got to lift a much greater weight, a higher distance up to get it up, right? And it's two guys going side by side trying to compete the event, uh, complete the event the quickest, but they also have to like do it the right way. You got to do the right form. It's a whole fucking thing. Highly recommend you Google strongman competitions. You won't be sorry. Now, hang on. Let me take a sip out of my gold solo cup, and then we'll talk about uh, lumberjack. Okay. Okay. Hang on. Mm, 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 mm. I do love me a captain's rummerade three thousand. Okay. Okay. Hang on. Hang on. <clears throat> I'm getting settled back in my chair here. I'm getting settled back in my fucking chair here. Um, okay. Let's just, let me settle in for a second. <laughs> As you guys may be able to tell, I'm a little bit off my game tonight. And I'm not mad at it because I hope it's entertaining for you guys. I'm sure having a good time. Um, but, uh, you know, that's where we're at. Alrighty then. What the fuck was that? Come on. You're not going to start this shit with me, right? We're going to do this shit again. You're going to come here. You're going to interrupt me. You're going to make me look fucking foolish. And then I'm going to have to explain to the people about the ghosts in my computer. Wrong again, idiot. No, it's not wrong. This is what we do every time. Can we just like skip it this time and just let me get on with the fucking show? I was having, a, I was just telling the people I was having a good time. Oh, that's stupid. No, 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 no. 
Okay. Now I'm confused. What do you want? You're obviously confused and aroused. No. I'm not aroused. I'm just confused. I'd like you to tell me what the fuck you want. This guy's a big time asshole. Fucking shit. Fuck me in a fucking ass. Fuck you, you fucking stupid cunt. Okay. 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 Stop. 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 Thank you. You just mind your P's and Q's, Buster, and remember who you're dealing with. Okay, I remember. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the ghosts say hello. (laughs) Back to what we were talking about before we were so rudely interrupted. Lumberjack competitions. So I would be watching Strongman, and then the commercials would come on, and you'd have, like, Billy Mays selling you cleaner, and you'd have Ron Popeil selling you uh, a set-it-and-forget-it chicken cooker and a whole bunch of other weird shit. Um, Enya would come on sometimes. We talked about pure pure moods a couple episodes ago. Lumberjack competitions would come on next, and what it would be would be a bunch of sometimes burly, sometimes like kind of stout, wiry, but clearly very, very strong people. And they would have these massive, like hot-rotted-out chainsaws, and they would have to do three vertical cuts on the end of a log, like as fast as they can. Up, down, up, or down, up, down, or some shit. And they would do it in like two seconds. And then the next event would be like, hey, you got to put these uh, ninja spikes on your shoes, put a strap around your waist, and then wrap it around a trunk, and then you got to climb to the top of the pole as fast as you can, and then they would just like cascade back down. Fucking incredible. I can't even explain it right because, well, to be honest, I'm a little drunk. Highly professional operation we've got going on here on Nonsense the Show. Um, but uh, even more so than the strongman competitions, check out fucking Lumberjacks because if if gigantic hot rotted out chainsaws and dudes climbing to the top of 30 foot tall logs and then careening back down onto the ground with ninja spikes on their shoes isn't enough, they also do log rolling which is where two dudes stand on top of their own individual logs and they have to run on the logs and whoever stays on top the longest wins. That's been fun for people for like thousands of years. Check out fucking lumberjack competitions. Late night ESPN in the 90s, you're a fucking win. I love you. Thanks. Okay. So before the show started, I was spending a lot of time on um, on iTunes. No, 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 no. It wasn't iTunes. It was on... Um, Spotify, forgive me. <laughs> I have a, a a playlist on Spotify called Nonsense Needs. I think it's public if you want to look at it. And it's basically where I dump any songs that I find that I think I might want to use on Nonsense. And lately I've found that it's kind of like my go-to playlist. I just put it on shuffle and then see what comes on. It's a weird mix of stuff. A lot of rock, a lot of, little bit of rap, a little bit of weird techno, some throwback stuff. The beats are on there. Um... And kind of the longer it goes, the more I kind of like this playlist. So I just wanted to share it with you guys. Um, And as a result, we're going to go ahead and uh, it's going to be probably a little bit of a music heavy night, even though I've got a lot of material to get to. There's a good chance it might be a long show or maybe I'm drunk and it goes short. It's going to be an adventure. We'll find out together. (laughs) And uh, I guess right now it's, it's just a really good time for us to throw it to heart. And let Hart sing us a little tune, a little tune, forgive me, a classic called Barracuda. Take it away. 
ladies. Thank you so much. That was, of course, Barracuda by the incredible, the legendary Hart. <coughs> Pardon me. All right. I love that fucking song. That song makes me jam out. It's time, ladies and gentlemen, to get to a story that I am very, very excited to share with you. This is the story of a man that I had never heard of before until like last week, maybe the week before. This is a guy who has had peripheral roles in so many historical events and historical important like powerful people's lives. It's hard to it's hard to overstate it. So settle in and let me tell you the story about the Forrest Gump of the Golden Age of Revolution. Mr. Francisco de Miranda. Francisco de Miranda epitomized the international importance of the American Revolution. Yet few Americans would recognize his name. He served with Spanish forces fighting the British in the Caribbean and Florida during the war, and in this way, helped the United States win the revolution. So this guy had a pivotal role in the American Revolution. Without him, at a couple of key moments, there is a good chance we would not have won that war. Okay? Just to give you some historical context for how important this son of a bitch is. His life demonstrated how the revolution was not just a war for American independence, but a crisis for the whole British Empire and a beacon of hope for those seeking freedom around the world. Francisco was born Sebastian Francisco de Miranda on March 28, 1750 in Caracas, Venezuela. His father, Don Sebastian de Miranda y Ravello, was a native of the Canary Islands, a Spanish colony off of the North African coast. Don Sebastian became a wealthy linen merchant and a planter in Caracas, and a good friend of Joseph Solano, the Spanish colonial governor of Venezuela. So a self-made man, a wealthy, powerful, well-connected man who uh, is, is, is right up there in the upper, upper echelons of social life in their home. Francisco, however never enjoyed complete social acceptance among the, among the sons of the colonial elites. He was a bit of an outsider. His experiences at the University of Caracas alienated him from colonial society, and he sailed for Spain in 1771 to complete his education in Europe. So this is a guy that had everything you could ever ask for, and but was never welcomed. He never felt like he was a part of the life he was living. And so at his first opportunity, he took off, and he's like, I'm out of here, I'm going to go find something else. Unknown to his father, however, Francisco actually planned to join the army, and in 1772, purchased a commission as a captain for 8,000 pesos in a Spanish regiment. So now he's really, really going kind of against the grain. This, this guy's a rebel already. He is a revolutionary in his own personal life. Francisco served in Africa in 1773 and saw action in Morocco and Algiers against Muslims in 1774 and 1775. So he's already got an eventful career in just the first couple of years. New opportunities arose for him after 1777 when an American army defeated and forced the surrender of a British army at the Battle of Saratoga, New York. The American victory convinced Francis King Louis, uh, King Louis the holy shit sixteenth. Wow, that was hard to sign a treaty of alliance with the United States in 1778. Spain's King Carlos III subsequently signed a treaty of alliance with France against Great Britain. After Spain's entry into the war, Francisco sailed for the Spanish colony of Cuba as an officer in the regiment of Aragon, not from the Lord of the Rings, from the Spanish colony of Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and soon became the aide-de-camp to the governor of Cuba, General Juan Manuel de Cagigal. That's a fun name to say, Cagigal. Cagigal, Cagigal, Cagigal. Never mind. After his arrival in Cuba, Francisco joined the Spanish forces laying siege to Fort George at Pensacola, Florida, the principal British outpost of the, on the Gulf of Mexico. General Bernardo de Galvez, the Spanish colonial governor of Louisiana, had captured Fort Charlotte. Uh, um, it's a bunch of dates, a bunch of historical shit. You don't care. On April 19th, Francisco arrived from Cuba with additional Spanish and French troops. Francisco reported that Galvez's army numbered 3,701, but they were only able to count 2,000. The British garrison also numbered 2,000, including 1,000 Creek Indians, thus producing a standoff. Francisco believed the Spanish troops from Cuba, with the 1,504 troops of our Navy and 725 French, tipped the balance. Galvez's army had increased, blah, 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 a bunch of numbers. Fort George subsequently came under a withering cannonade. By early May 1781, the Spanish had used up most of their ammunition and began shelling Fort George with spent British cannonballs. So they have this long, drawn-out siege. It's this standoff of relatively equal troops, unclear uh, intelligence. Nobody really knows what's going on, but Francisco has a pretty, pretty good instinct and a pretty good eye for warfare. Fortunately for Galvez, Francisco heard from the Spanish camp a great explosion in the British lines on May 8th. A grenade from a Spanish howitzer had landed in a British redoubt, killing 108 of their best troops. The loss of over 100 regulars proved too much for the British, and on May 10th, 1781, they surrendered Fort George to General Galvez. The loss of Pensacola brought all of British West Florida under Spanish control. So here we are with Galvez at the site of his first major historical moment. After the siege, Francisco returned to Havana. In the summer of 1781, Generals George Washington, yeah, that George Washington, and the Comte de Rochambeau, commander of all French forces in North America, planned to capture the British Army under General Lord Cornwallis at Yorktown, Virginia. Um, anybody familiar with the American Revolution will recognize all of those names and will recognize that city um, and that particular battle. To secure the victory, the Allies needed help from the French fleet under Admiral Comte de Grasse to prevent Cornwallis's rescue by the British fleet under Rear Admiral Graves. Admiral de Grasse agreed to the plan, but needed funds to resupply his fleet for the voyage to the Chesapeake. The admiral called first at the French, uh, French colony of San Domingo in Haiti, but was unable to secure any funds. No money for you. He then went to Havana, where our boy Francisco coaxed the Spanish commissary to provide the needed supplies. And so here you have the second major historical part um, that our man plays on the periphery of, of really monumental moments. Without his intervention, who knows if Admiral de Grasse would have uh, received the funds he needed. Without those funds, who knows what would have happened at the Battle of Yorktown. But, thanks to Francisco's efforts, the French fleet arrived in time to defeat the British off the uh, Virginia Capes on September 5th, 1781. Without that naval support, Lord Cornwallis surrendered his army at the Battle of Yorktown in 1781. This was the last major battle of the American Revolution. Just think about how important our boy Francisco's role is. That's, that's kind of mind-blowing. On October 23, 1781, Francisco was promoted to lieutenant colonel, uh, well-earned, I would say, and sent to the British colony of Jamaica to negotiate a prisoner exchange. 
He was provided with 30,000 pesos to pay for the prisoner's transport, uh, and he concluded the exchange in November 1781. So, pretty cut and dry job. Here's some money, go get these guys out, and then come back. There was a little bit of money left over after negotiations, though. And Francisco, probably foolishly, chose to use the remainder of that money to buy contraband goods for resale in Cuba. Going to make a little profit. There is no reason to believe that Francisco intended to sell the goods for personal gain, but his political enemies in Cuba accused him of exactly that. On March 18, 1782, King Carlos III ordered Francisco's arrest and sent a Mexican judge to Havana to investigate. So now he went from the cream of the crop, a fast-rising star in his uh, military and social world, to a fucking criminal wanted by the crown. However, before the warrant arrived, Francisco left Cuba with a combined Spanish, French, and American force to attack New Providence, the British colonial capital of the Bahamas. On May 8, 1782, Francisco accepted the British surrender of the Bahamas to Spanish control. So imagine this. He gets accused of stealing a couple of thousand dollars, a couple thousand pesos, in order to buy contraband goods. The crown is after him, and he says, man, fuck all that. Let me get some boys together. We're going to go ahead and get the Bahamas, and we'll give those to the crown, and maybe they'll go a little bit easy on me. Spanish authorities arrested Francisco upon his return to Havana, but paroled him to the custody of General Cagigal. The Mexican judge stripped Francisco of his commission, levied a heavy fine, and sentenced him to 10 years in prison. Sip a rum for 10 years in prison. Good Lord, doing a dime. After learning of the sentence, Francisco boarded the appropriately named American whaling vessel Prudent, and fled Cuba for the United States on June 1st, 1783. Oh, you going to send me to prison? No, the fuck you ain't. He planned to make a personal appeal to King Carlos III, but once, the, uh, once in the United States, his intentions quickly changed. So they were going to put him in fucking prison, despite all he had done. And he was like, Mm-mm, I'm going to go to America, and then I'm going to go see the king, and I'm going to talk to him personally and be like, yo, king. Let's fix this shit. Bury the hatchet, squash our beef, and so on and so forth. But once he got to America, he started looking around and he was like, yo, this America shit is okay. The democratic spirit of the country impressed him greatly. On June 17, 1783, he attended a barbecue in New Bern, North Carolina. In fine American fashion, they win people over with the barbecue, celebrating the provisional peace treaty with Great Britain. I mean, this is right at the beginning of America. Like, what's up, America? Let's have a barbecue. He commented that it is impossible to imagine without seeing it a more purely democratic gathering. More on that later. He traveled throughout the United States and met with General Henry Knox, Alexander Hamilton, and the Reverend Ezra Stiles of Yale University, as well as many other patriots. We're talking big names of the time. These are incredibly famous people. I mean, imagine meeting, you know, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Barack Obama. You know, like these are very, very important people. He discussed liberty and republicanism and displayed a genuine regard for the American achievement. Again, the American Revolution was a, a monumental event in world history. It inspired a lot of other countries to chase the same dream of democracy and a republic. 
um, you know, ruled over by the people and in the people's best interests. Um, Francisco de Montoya is a perfect example of that, as will obviously become more and more clear as we continue through this. He soon began dreaming of the day when his native Venezuela might shake off the colonial yoke of Spain. By the time he reached New York in 1784, he had formed a project for the uh, for the liberty and independence of the entire Spanish-American continent. So he wasn't just going to settle with Venezuela. He was like, hey, the whole fucking continent is going to be fucking free and ruled on their own democratic republic principles. He spoke with many Americans about his plans and began to see himself as a colonial rebel, just like the men he was meeting with. In 1784, Francisco left the United States for London. When the French Revolution began in 1789, however, he traveled directly to France to join the Republic's army. This is a man who immediately connected himself with with revolutionary uh, uh, opportunities, with revolutionary efforts. He wanted to be involved. He wanted to believe in it. He wanted to be a part of it because he so believed in it. He rose quickly to the rank of lieutenant general and laid a successful siege against the city of Antwerp in Holland. So, the American Revolution and now the French Revolution, instrumental part of it, becomes a a, a leader and a military figure very, very quickly based on his experience and his knowledge. Francisco, however, nearly lost his head during the reign of terror in the early 1790s, which sounds like a time period I should do a story about in the future. But in true Francisco uh, fashion, he managed to escape, made it into Russia. While in Russia, he wasn't going to slum it with the normal people. Of course not. He was going to find himself right there at the tippy top of social society. And so, of course, he cultivated an amorous friendship with the one and only Empress Catherine the Great, who by nature of that relationship, gave him letters of introduction to all of the courts of Europe. That's a straight golden ticket to get in anywhere you want to go and talk to the greatest, the brightest, the wealthiest, and most importantly, the most powerful people anywhere you go. George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, Catherine the Great. What is Francisco de Montoya up to that he's able to get close to all these people? And let's not fucking skip over the fact that this this article that I found all of this information from specified an amorous friendship. Francisco de Montoya was fuck buddies with Catherine the Great. FWBs. Nope, nope, nope. Dang. There it is. Dang. Dang. <laughs> In 1798, Francisco returned to Great Britain to renew his efforts to free Venezuela from Spain. By 1800, he had become a legend in his own time. Fucking duh. According to the Duchess de Abrahantes, Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte himself... Okay, hang on. George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, Empress uh, Catherine the Great. (sighs) Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte said of Francisco that he is like Don Quixote without being mad. Francisco's later life proved just as romantic and tragic as the fictional Spanish heroes. If you're not familiar with Don Quixote, um, look up the story. Learn about tilting at windmills. It'll be a story you enjoy. It's a classic. In London, Francisco met with British Prime Minister William Pitt, 
the Younger, to ask for British support in liberating Venezuela from Spanish colonial rule. Pitt proved unsympathetic to financing a Venezuelan revolution, and Francisco then traveled to Boston in search of financial support. Boston, of course, being a hotbed of revolutionary activity, as any student of the revolution will know, he found Boston's elites more inclined to his plans, obviously, and secured sufficient money for an expedition in 1806. Unfortunately for Francisco, uh, the first invasion failed and he again returned to London. Uh, But his luck turned in 1810 when the Venezuelan people revolted against Spanish rule. Finally, the people themselves rose up and decided enough is enough. Returning to his native country, he became the new republic's vice president. Again, immediately rising to a high, lofty, powerful position. By legislative action, he was made its military leader in 1811. He issued Venezuela, uh, Venezuela's Declaration of Independence from Spain and tried to establish a constitution similar to that of the United States. Without foreign assistance, however, his government soon fell to Spanish forces in 1812. He spent the rest of his life in prison in Spain. Tragically, he died on July 14, 1816, at the age of 66, believing that his quest had failed. Despite Francisco's death, his legacy, and that of the American Revolution, lived on. Francisco's efforts helped inspire Simon de Boliviar and others to continue the struggle for, Southern, uh, for South American liberation. In 1819, Colombia won its independence from Spain, followed by Venezuela in 1821 and Ecuador in 1822. And now, in a little bit of redemption for our boy Francisco de Montoya, the former Spanish colonies united as the Great Columbia Republic, and the yellow, red, and blue standard that Francisco designed for his 1806 campaign became the new nation's flag. Venezuela and Ecuador seceded from the Great Columbia Republic in 1830, but Francisco's tricolor standard remained the basis for flags of the independent republics of Venezuela, Ecuador, and Colombia. While I was reading about Francisco de, Monto- uh, de Montoya, and, or correction, de Miranda, Jesus, how long have I been saying Montoya? Francisco de Miranda, I found a couple of his diary entries, which were, you know, just kind of fun to look through. So I, I pulled, uh, what do I have, two of them? Let's see. Yeah, two of them, I think. <clears throat> June 17th, 1783, New Bern, North Carolina. Today, to the sound of drums and a volley from four small campaign pieces, cannons, the cessation of, mm, cessation of hostilities and the preliminary treaties with England were announced in the field. By way of celebration for this event, starting at one o'clock, there was a barbecue of roast pig <laughs> and a barrel of rum. Sip a rum for Francisco drinking a barrel of rum. Mm. That's a good beverage. Lost my place while I was drinking my beverage. A barrel of rum from which the leading officials and citizens of the region promiscuously ate and drank with the meanest and lowest kind of people. Holding hands and drinking from the same cup. It is impossible to imagine without seeing it a more purely democratic gathering. So this moment in particular, not just for the food and drink, but for the spirit of the event really had an impact on Francisco. And as we can see by his later life, that mentality and that attitude of democratic uh, sharing of resources, sharing of experiences, sharing of happiness, no matter how high or low your position in society, that really sunk in with him. 
I mean, it, it really inspired his activities up until his dying day um, right there in prison in Spain. November 22nd, 1783, a diary entry reads, two miles past the small town of Gloucester in Philadelphia, where we arrived at 10 o'clock in the morning, tying up at the wharves amidst a multitude of ships of all nations, which frequent this beautiful, free, and commercial city. Philadelphia is located at the confluence of the Delaware and Schuylkill Rivers. The houses are comfortable, clean, and in good taste. The cleanliness, evenness, and length of the streets, their illumination at nighttime, and the vigilance of the guards posted at each corner to maintain security and good order make Philadelphia one of the most pleasant and well-ordered cities in the world. So here you have yet another impression of the American experiment early, early in its existence, in which Francisco saw a modern, productive, orderly um, functioning society, which really inspired him and, and enamored him. In January 1784, he traveled through New Jersey to New York. After visiting New York, he passed through New the mm, passed mm, words are hard. Passed through the New England states. <laughs> Boom, nailed it. Before return returning to Europe in December 1784. While in Boston, again going back to. Francisco's contact with some major, major historical figures of the era and of all time. While in Boston, he met Samuel Adams and the Marquis de Lafayette. And unlike most other people, he found the former superior in character to the latter. Those that are not aware, the Marquis de Lafayette was somewhat of a hero uh, for the American Revolution. A close friend of Washington and Jefferson, um, incredible French, uh, French leader, very instrumental in the French Revolution himself, suffered the consequences for that. Um, February 1784 in Kings Ferry, New York, our boy Francisco writes, I will not forget to record an anecdote which took place here, worthy of immortality. A farmer, owner of the land near Crown Point on which the French had their encampment, made his application to them for the rent. The officers paid no attention to the pretension and did not even give a satisfactory answer. Seeing this, the Republican rustic withdrew from the scene and went in search of the sheriff. French won't pay me my money. Well, damn it, I'll go get the fucking sheriff. And see, you hear these these two poor peasants coming without a single weapon in their hands, but rather with the palladium and authority of the law. Determined with heroic firmness to arrest the French general, the Marquis de Rochambeau, in front of his entire army for damages and rent. The general was effectively detained by the sheriff and instantly paid the amount owed to the poor rustic, some 10 or 15 pesos was the entire sum with which the entire uh, which with mm, with which the proceeding ended how how is it possible that under similar protections the most arid and barren countries in the world would not flourish and that the most mm, pusillanimous mm, pusillanimous ooh that's a weird word i should look that up and the most pusillanimous and abject men would not without a short uh, within a short time be honest just industrious, wise, and brave. So before we get on to the Marquis de Lafayette, what Francisco is describing here is an incident where a lowly, relatively powerless peon went to the sheriff and under authority of law with no weapons in hand and no anger displayed, went back to the French, detained a French general, arguably the most powerful French citizen in the area, in front of his entire army and said, hey, Pay this guy or else. And the general fucking paid. 
you can imagine at the time how much of an impact an incident like that would have on a man like Francisco. To see the equality, the justice, the law and order on display in such a magnificent way is something that's unheard of at the time and which is what made the, the American experiment so grand, so unbelievable, and so revolutionary. And now on to our friend the Marquis. September 16, 1784, Boston. I had the pleasure of communicating with the famous Republican and very prominent actor in the recent revolution, Mr. Samuel Adams. He is a man of talents and extensive accomplishments in legislation. We had some drawn-out conversations regarding the constitution of this republic. He gave me much interesting information on the origin, beginnings, and occurrences of the past revolution. Le Marquis de Lafayette arrived while I was here. I had occasion to talk to him, and he seems to me a mediocre character, invested with that activity and perpetual motion of Frenchmen. This trip with the Marquis seems to me one of those uh, ridiculous political farces. These simple people have made excessive and absurd demonstrations as the hero passes from one town to the other. Not exactly glowing praise for the Marquis de Lafayette, who in any basic um, surface-level reading of the American Revolution, I have never, ever seen described thusly. Um, so there's just a quick, uh, a quick dip into the world of Francisco de Miranda, one of the most interest, interesting Forrest Gumpian characters I have come across in my research, a man who has uh, you know, rubbed elbows with some of the most influential and powerful people in the history um, of the last 250 years. So let's listen to Dynamite Hack. Uh, let's listen to Dynamite Hack. Sing Boys in the Hood. enough of that i'm gonna make a confession to you guys right now that was not the song i intended to, to play <laughs> i feel like this show has totally gotten away from me and i'm kind of okay with that um as always every week i give you guys a brief look into what i watch in my free time in my downtime in my uh turning my brain off time and also in sometimes the time while i do other work um, this week, I don't have a lot of TV or movies for you. We're going to talk about Forgetting Sarah Marshall in a minute. But I want to share with you a couple of YouTube ideas, a couple of YouTube things that I've been up to. Um, the first, uh, I, I can't remember if it was on this podcast or on the other podcast I participate in at the moment, called Witmus, W-I-T-M-Y-S, M as in Mary. Um, Witmus is a mental health podcast uh, basic, based around the idea of what I'd tell my younger self. Partnered up with my dear college uh, college hombre, homie, and uh, friend, a man who I respect and admire greatly, who I enjoy hanging out with every week, uh, Robert Romance. 
Um, Witness is a really great show. We have a brand new co-host uh, called Natasha on, on board. Uh, we're 20 some odd episodes in. We just passed a thousand listens, which is very, very exciting. Even, uh, even though they, we on Witness passed a thousand listens faster than on Nonsense, but that's okay. It's no big deal. It's not like it's competition. <laughs> check out Witness the Show on any podcast platform you prefer. And while you're at it, get on YouTube and check out Mark Rober. He's a former NASA engineer, real smart guy, real creative guy, real kind of neat guy. Um, recently made the news uh, talking about his son and his son's uh, you know, diagnosis with autism and so on and so forth. Mark Rober is a guy who makes videos. Um, he's, he's really, really famous for his holiday videos where he makes a glitter bomb with cell phones, fart spray, um, all that kind of stuff to, to trap these people and kind of catch people stealing porch, uh, you know, stealing packages off of porches. Um, <clears throat> my favorite videos though, with Mark Rober are his squirrel obstacle courses. He's been playing with the squirrels in his backyard for well over a year making these obstacle courses to try and force them to go through certain things in order to get a reward of nuts or treats or whatever the fuck they like. He just released a second one today. I saw it like 20 minutes before I started the show, so I wanted to tell you guys about it. It's no secret that I love squirrels. Uh, My dog, my best friend, my soulmate, Toby the Wonder Mutt, he had a rivalry with the squirrels. I have grown to love them because they make me think of him. Plus, they're really fucking cute. Check out Mark Rober and his squirrel friends, Fat Gus, Rick, Marty, and uh, Frank, as they go through his... uh, I think in version two, he calls it the Fort, the Fort Nuts Squirrel Obstacle Course. Really fun. It's like Mythbusters. You know, it's a very like fun, informative, entertaining science show. Not to mention, it'll tell you a little bit about how squirrels can fall from very, very high distances and land safely. Kind of cool. I've also caught myself lately watching a lot of YouTube about like chateaus and palaces and villas and manors. I think I've talked about the Chateau Diaries here on the show before. Um, I've been following these Italian realtors and they show off these like incredible Italian properties. Um, and it's clearly being made for, for American audiences It's done in English. Um, you know, they, they really focus on kind of that Avenue of it, but it's just incredible to see these properties. Uh, I love the historic ones in particular, uh, you know, places that have been around for hundreds of years as they kind of walk through them. Some of them are true castles you know, like fortifications and arrow slits and all that shit. Some of them are palaces, you know, that are made for leisure and comfort and entertaining with beautiful gardens and shit. And there are real people living in these places, taking care of them, trying to figure out how to pay for them. Some people come from lots of money. Some people are relatively normal folks who are just making it work, you know. Um, So if that's something you're interested in, check it out. It's worth worth your time. I have no fucking idea how we did it, but we're 48 minutes into this show. That's insane to me. I have no idea how that happened. Um, this week, <clears throat> we have an entry for the Captain's Film Institute. Again, thank you to Molly Smalls for recommending this. I'm, I'm very, very grateful. I really like it. Um, we're going to talk about Forgetting Sarah Marshall. 2008 classic rom-com. I saw it described in several critical reviews as a romantic comedy made for men, which I think is a fitting description, even though I think as time goes on, we're getting away for the four men, four women thing in a lot of cases. But um, the cast on this one is ridiculous. Jason Segel, Kristen Bell, Mila Kunis, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. That's not, that's not right. Russell Brand. (laughs) You can see I had already started drinking when I was writing this. Jonah Hill, Paul Rudd, Bill Hader, Jack McBrayer, and Kristen Wiig. 
Uh, the official description, the story revolves around Peter Bretter, who is a music composer for a TV show that happens to feature his girlfriend, Sarah Marshall, in the lead role. After a five-year relationship, Sarah abruptly breaks up with Peter. Devastated by this event, he chooses to go on a vacation in Hawaii in order to try to move on and move forward with his life. Trouble ensues when he runs into his ex on the island as she is vacationing with her new boyfriend. Uh, romantic and raunchy are exactly how you would describe this, uh, this movie. Uh, according to the director, Nic- Nicholas Stoller, it is uh, about 60 or 70% scripted and then 30 or 40% improv. Um, which to me is something that I really enjoy. I love improv comedy. I love improvisation. I love the creativity. I love the fast mind. I love, I love all of that. Um, and, and I tend to gravitate towards movies where even often without realizing it, it's movies where the actors and the comedians that are a part of it have had that opportunity to kind of like flex their muscles and have some fun with it. It just, that's what draws me in. Um, a couple of the notes I made while I was watching it. Um, this is a movie that uses awkwardness as an incredible comedic weapon. It bludgeons you over the head with laughter and discomfort. Um, and then the next note illustrates that perfectly because early in the movie, in the breakup scene, Jason Siegel, um, he hangs dong while full-blown ugly crying. And for those of you that are not, it's always sunny in Philadelphia uh, fans. Hanging dong means full frontal nudity of a male actor. And this is one of the very few times um, in film history at the time that I can remember that happening. This was not something that happened in mainstream films, particularly comedies at the time. And Jason Segel, one of the writers of the film, uh, a real comedic genius, phenomenal guy, um, and Muppet aficionado, um, Jason Siegel is a dude that was just like, yeah, fuck it. I'll go for it. Like, let me be naked. Judd Apatow was involved. And so of course, you know, he's, he's kind of down for everything. Um, blah, blah, blah. Kristen Wiig is a yoga instructor. I didn't, I don't think I ever realized that until I was watching it today. So it was one of her earliest roles. Um, she's, she's phenomenal in her very brief appearance. Um, Peter in the yoga class in which Kristen Wiig is the teacher um, is me every time I try to do a group activity. Out of place, uncomfortable, awkward, drawing too much attention to myself and not in the good way. Uh, Paul Rudd is in the movie. He's the best. Paul Rudd's always the best. I love Paul Rudd. Anything Paul Rudd is involved in, I will check out. Fuck yeah, Paul Rudd. Uh, By the way, check out his appearance on Hot Ones, another YouTube show you you should check out. We'll talk more about that next episode. Um, our first taste of the Dracula musical is exactly as awkward and hilarious as you'd hope for. And my immediate reaction upon first hearing that song was, I have to see this Dracula puppet musical. If you haven't seen the movie, you don't know what I'm talking about. And now you want to see the movie. And that's why I'm not going to go into detail on the Dracula puppet musical. Side note, everything I've ever seen about Mila Kunis, who's in this movie, makes me think she's insanely cool and fun. Her husband, Ashton Kutcher, seems exactly the same way, but she just seems cool as fuck. She also has a Hot Ones episode you should check out. Worth your time. Hawaii State Fish is actually called the Humuhumu Nuku Nuku uh, Apua'a. Uh, just for those of you that missed that, that was the Humuhumu Nuku Nuku Apua'a. That is actually the Hawaiian State Fish, just in case you were wondering after you watched the movie. The role of Aldous Snow, played by Russell Brand in this movie, absolutely perfectly, as well as the follow-up spinoff sequel, not sequel, but spinoff, uh, Get Into the Greek, which we'll talk about in the future. Uh, it was originally written for Sons of Anarchy star Charlie Hunnam. Imagine how different if Jax Teller from Sons of Anarchy 
played that role instead of Russell Brand. Weird. A couple of my favorite quotes from the movie as I was watching tonight, Jack McBrayer to Maria Thayer, who if you've seen Accepted, you know her. Uh, they're having a sex scene, and he says, you've got Christ between your thighs with a shorter beard. <laughs> I love that. <coughs> oh, dry throat making me cough. Sip a rum. For Christ, with a short beard. (laughs) Another quote I love is at one point, Jason has woken up to get kicked out of his hotel suite, and a quote is uttered, are those sad tissues or happy tissues? I'll let you figure out what that means. There's a scene where two couples are having sex against the same wall from opposite rooms, and they're competing to outdo each other. It's very, very uncomfortable, very, very funny. Um... Uh, the, the the thing I wrote down while I was doing my notes was who hasn't done something similar with roommates or on vacation while you were young and stupid? Two people in the same house uh, having sex with their partners and trying to kind of be over the top and silly, making noises and outdo each other. But as I'm saying this out loud, I feel like that's kind of weird and maybe that's not something normal people do and maybe I was just a degenerate frat boy. So if you haven't done that, please forgive me. Uh, shout out to the Razor phone cameo during Peter's second hanging dong scene. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Check it out. You won't be sorry. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. Here's what we're going to do. You guys ready for this? I hope you are. We're going to listen to Queen for a minute. 55 minutes into the show and we're going to close things out and uh, I've got some stuff we're going to save for next time we'll talk about that after the song Fat Bottom Girls I appreciate you shout out Fat Bottom Girls you make the rocking world go round Shout out to the fat bottom girls out there making the rockin' world go round. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we are excited to know you. <laughs> All right, guys, I don't know how it happened. It, uh, it kind of got away from me. I don't know if it was fun. I had a good time. I hope you did, too. This is episode 228 of Nonsense the Show. i got to come up with a title. Uh, 
I don't know. I'll figure something out. Um, what do we have left? I'm going to be putting out some very, very special Patreon-only episodes of Nonsense, the show. It'll be like 30 minutes specialized content. I haven't figured out the format yet. Um, I'll be letting you guys know more as it comes closer. But what I'm looking for is I'm looking for ways to entice you to join and support my Patreon page for whatever amount is comfortable and affordable to you. Um, obviously I prefer that you donate more, um, but I understand that times is tough and this is one hour a week. Um, but if you want to get on patreon.com backslash nonsense, the show and support us with your money, it would really, really, uh, make me happy because every dollar that you donate to nonsense, the show goes, goes towards achieving my dream of, uh, of getting out there and creating some real, real entertaining content for you, both via podcast, via YouTube and via written, uh, material. So, that all feeds into something that we will dive deep into next episode, which is what I'm calling the van plan, which is that, uh, unfortunately I'm going to postpone next year's big, incredible trip for real world reasons. We'll talk about later. It's not canceled. It's just pro postponed. It will future happen in the short term though. I'm looking to buy a camper van. I'm going to get myself into a camper van. I'm going to relive the fog city road trip in the long term. I'm going to get out there on the road. I'm going to come visit all of y'all in your home cities. I'm going to check out what's what. I'm going to eat the best places. I'm going to see the best museums. I'm going to tell the coolest stories. I'm going to meet the most interesting people. And you all are going to help me do it. Patreon.com backslash nonsense the show. If you want to know more about the van plan, if you want to suggest a city to visit, if you want to suggest a location, a museum, an, uh, an attraction, or just a restaurant that you love, please let me know. We'll talk more about that in episode 229 of Nonsense the Show coming at you next week. Next week, we'll also talk about the Bohemian Grove. Uh, we'll talk about some shit on Instagram involving spies and fucking hidden materials. And really, I mean, that's kind of all I got for you. This is Nonsense the Show. My name is Captain Nick. Thank you all for tuning in. I sincerely appreciate it. Uh, I really enjoy this show. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy being here every week, uh, living my radio host fantasy. <laughs> Hope you guys had a good time. Please let me know what you think about the show. Nonsense the show uh, on the Instagram. Uh, no. Yeah, Nonsense the show is on the Instagram, but I use Beard and Bones. Bones at gmail.com is the email address, though, and I would appreciate if you would send me an email and let me know what you think. Beard and Bones, B-E-A-R-D, the letter N, B-O-N-E-S, at gmail.com. Suggestions, feedback, comments, compliments, financial donations, whatever else you want to send. Nonsense, 229. 228, rather. Uh, stay tuned for some music afterwards. Okay, love you, bye.
about. Going dumb, party like Diddy though. Mr. Fab, I'm the prince of the city house. Ghost ride, ghost ride. Get out the way, let Casper drive. Ghost ride, go crazy. Who's that driving? Patrick Sway. When you get a new car, and you're feeling like a star. Thank you for taking me out. No, I had I had a great time. Thank you. You did? Yeah. 